My God never failed me yet. And we can sing about that now because he's given us a firm foundation to stand on. Please stand as we sing, How Firm a Foundation. as we gather here in your house to worship you, we affirm that you are faithful, that you have seen us through so many fiery trials in the past, and you will see us through in the future. Thank you for being the kind of God that loves us and desires a relationship with us. And if we will but confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Be in our midst today. Accept our worship, our praise, as an act of sacrifice acceptable unto you. Cleanse us, Lord. Renew us. Restore our fellowship. Deepen our walk. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church Tipton. My name is Mary Claire Raines. I'm involved in the children's ministry here. I'm a GA teacher as well as a nursery coordinator, and we're thrilled to have you with us today. We're thrilled that you've joined us to be part of our television audience. We hope that you'll grab your Bible, that you'll sing along, and that you'll follow as Brother Wayne brings us today's message. 
We do have counselors standing by. If you have some prayer needs or you have some questions about First Baptist Church or about becoming a Christian, you can call the church at 382-6063 or you can visit the website at www.fbctifton.org. Once again, we do thank you for joining us and we hope to see you here one day. and girls. Whoa. How are y'all this morning? Look out. Coming through. Beep, beep. All right. How are y'all? Great. You sure you're all right? You don't sound. Are you doing okay today? Are you excited about the new Sunday school rooms for children in preschool? Yeah. Is that it? Yes. Okay. Not awake yet. All right. We're glad you're here. Don't let me forget. This is the fifth Sunday. So you get to stay in big church today. Are you excited about that? Yeah, okay. Good, we're so excited. Emma Cargill has the Happy Club bag, doesn't she? Hey, Miss Emma, come sit right here. And let me see what you brought in the bag today. It's very light. Yeah. Is something in there? Are you sure? All right, let's see what it is. Where is it? It's very small. It sure is. What is it? A fortune cookie. A fortune cookie from the Chinese restaurant? <laughs> the idea, Emma, is to be nice to Brother Wayne. <laughs> Why'd you bring a fortune cookie? Because it 
Because it has reading inside, you can read inside. You want to open it up and see what it says? Yeah. Here, you break it open. I might give it bad luck. What does the fortune cookie say? The only good is knowledge and the only evil is ignorance. And here, Emma, here are your lottery numbers. <laughs> 44, 29, 37, 33, 30, and 38. You don't play the lottery, do you? You don't need those numbers then. Good. Well, you know what? I, I guess, Emma, this is good that you brought this because this tells us what the world teaches. It gives us the wisdom of the world, and it says the only good is knowledge, and the only evil is ignorance. Is that what the Bible says? No. no. Boys and girls, is that what the Bible says? No. No, thank you. The Bible says that good is God, and evil is sin. So, so often, boys and girls, we listen to what the world says, and not what the Bible says. And the fortune cookie is just an example of how messed up our world can be apart from God. So Emma, I, don't really, I know you don't really pay any attention to these fortunes that are in fortune cookies. It's just kind of fun to crack them open and see how silly they can be at times. And uh, this just teaches us to be careful with what the world tries to teach us. And instead of listening to the world, let's listen to God. And how do we learn about God? In the Bible, and you have your Bible, that's exactly right, boys and girls. The Bible tells us what's good and what's evil, what's right and wrong, what's true and what's not true. So let's turn to the Bible for wisdom and not to fortune cookies or to the world. All right, let's pray right now and, and thank God for His wisdom. And you pray after me. Dear God, thank you for the Bible and the truth that it teaches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, Miss Emma. There's your fortune in case you want to hang on to it for some reason. <laughs> Boys and girls, this is the fifth Sunday, so you... Oh, we got to give the bag to a boy. Ty, where's Ty Connor? Will you take the bag home and bring me back something special next week, please? And you can return to your seats and you get to stay in the sanctuary today and hear the shorter corral and hear Brother Wayne say, yay. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
offertory hymn is Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Please stand as we sing. Father, Lord, we just love you and your praise your name, Lord. You just blessed us with so much, Lord. You did not even spare your only son who came down, walked among us, and ultimately died on a cruel cross to, to pay the debt for all of our sins. Lord, we come before you now with our tithes and offerings. We ask you to take them use them to further your kingdom, not only just in Tifton, but around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Actually, I'd like you to remain standing for my whole sermon. (laughs) Thank you, Shorter Corral. I hope you're planning on coming at four this afternoon to hear the full concert. If you love choral music, uh, you'll be treated in that hour of worship. My sermon this morning is on confession. I've always wondered what role does confession of sin play for Christians? Because once you become a Christian, doesn't the Bible say your sins are forgiven? So why confess your sins? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What role does confession play? What what does it mean? Why is it so important? So I have two passages of scripture, one from the Old Testament, the Psalm, the 32nd Psalm, which is a, a Psalm of David. And you can imagine the turmoil in his life after the Bathsheba affair and um, what it did to him on the inside. And then 1 John 1, which talks about how confession cleanses our souls and restores our relationship with our Savior. Psalm 32 verse 1 says this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to thee. I'm going to stop. We'll keep going there. At time of distress, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Thou art a hiding place for me. Thou preservest me from trouble. Thou dost encompass me with deliverance. Psalm 32. You hear how David feels? When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away, but when I acknowledged my sin, thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. 1 John 1, very simple. In the Greek, it's one of the, one of the first uh, letters you translate when you learn in Greek. 1 John 1, verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here's the verse. Nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Shall we pray? Father, we are here today to acknowledge that we are sinners. Even saved by grace, we still sin. But sometimes we minimize that and rationalize it and do little with confession. Thank you that our sins are already forgiven by the blood of Jesus who died on the cross. But help us learn to confess and just be honest 
with you and find our relationship with you restored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, nobody's perfect except Jesus. At least that's the usual response we give anytime we make a little boo-boo. And if someone has the gall to point out a specific flaw in us, we might answer, oh, I have my flaws all right, but that's not one of them. So we can own up to being flawed, but you have trouble pinning us down on anything specific. And while we know on the inside what our weaknesses and shortcomings might be, we would never share them with others. If you want to get ahead in the world, you're better off not airing your dirty linen. Isn't that true? I mean, after all, would you go to a job interview and say to the boss who's interviewing you, you know what, I need to be honest with you. I'm a lazy procrastinator and rarely make deadlines. I'm very critical of others, including coworkers and especially my supervisors. And I enjoy complaining, especially about being overworked and underpaid. Now, I know you feel that way, but you wouldn't admit that in a job interview, would you? Guys, if you're asking a lady out on a date, let me give you a tip. Don't say, I'm an obnoxious know-it-all. I talk all the time, especially when I don't know what I'm talking about. Boy, the girls are laughing at that. You know somebody like that, don't you? You've been out with them. All right. They say... Uh, when I eat, I like to smack my food and talk with, my, with food in my mouth and uh, guzzle my drink, and I belch a lot. The guy you've been out may have done that, but at least he didn't admit it up front. So however imperfect we may be, at least we have the good sense not to air dirty laundry for everybody to see. One little girl said to her classmate, the little girl was sitting in the corner facing the, the corner, and the little girl came up to her and said, you know, to err is human. To admit is stupid. <laughs> so here's the rub. Why in the world does the Bible teach the importance of confessing our sin? Instead of giving us suggestions about how to cover up our sin, we are taught to disclose our evil. To open our mouths and our hearts to what is wrong in our lives. And, and the Bible says we dare not even pretend perfection because it says in verse 10 of 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 9, there's an outline in your worship bulletin to follow along. It's a favorite, it's the core, the crux of this passage in 1 John 1. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Greek word for confess here is homo legeo, and it, it's formed of two words. Legeo means to say or speak. It's a very common word in the New Testament, to say or speak. Homo is a prefix that means the same. So homo legeo means to speak the same, to say the same, to agree with. What are you confessing? When you confess sins, you are saying the same thing about sins that God says about them. When you confess sins, you are agreeing with God that sin is wrong. 
and that they are what he says they are. He says they are sins, and even you, either you can lie about it and separate yourself from God, or you can confess them and agree with God that they are what he has told you they are all along. When you become a Christian, your sins are already forgiven, past, present, and future, but you have to confess them. You have to agree with God that they are what he says they are, and they're forgiven. It sounds easy, doesn't it? Then why is confessing our sins so hard? Come up with some excuses why we don't confess our sins. The first reason is that we don't think they're bad enough to bother confessing. Maybe, you know, maybe we told a little white lie here. Maybe I twisted the truth a little bit over there to make myself look better. Maybe I fudged on that test a little bit. Maybe I took something home from the office that doesn't belong to me. But it's really not a big deal, right? The problem is, with that, is that we tend to look at sin the way the world does and not the way God does. Let me tell you, God is holy and just and righteous. And even a little white lie is so abhorrent to him that he cannot even open his eyes to see it. I heard recently about a translator that had difficulty translating the Bible into a particular dialect of the African language. Because in that particular dialect, there was no word for sin. And so how do you translate the sin, the concept of sin, into a dialect that has no understanding, no, no equivalent concept for it? You're the translator. The closest thing the translator could come up with was a word that meant for sin, something bad to eat. It's the closest thing he could come up with sin in that particular dialect. And that's what a lot of people think sin is, no more than just a matter of taste. And if that's all sin is, then it certainly didn't require a radical solution like Jesus' death on the cross. The problem is, though, when it comes to sin, we tend to compare ourselves to each other. And, and we figure, well, I'm doing better than the next guy. I'm not, I must not be all that bad. But guess what? God doesn't compare us to each other. Who does God compare us to? Compares us to Jesus. He compares us to perfection. And when you look at yourselves in the light of Jesus, even our very best deeds, even our most noble and righteous efforts, even the very best thing we can do, Isaiah 64, 6 says, the very best thing we can do is filthy rags in God's sight. Your righteousness is like filthy rags when God looks at it. Let me give you an example. Last Sunday, we had the Songs of the South Youth Choir here, and I was helping move these short pews down onto the floor. As a pastor, I want to look like I'm doing manual labor without actually doing any heavy lifting. So I had this pew by the side, and there were two other guys on it, and I was just kind of walking along, and when this pew slid down to the floor, there's a rough edge right back here, and I got a splinter in my little finger that was huge gargantuan monstrosity and I couldn't wait to get home for Susan to pull it out with a pair of pliers 
The only problem was when I got home and showed it to her, she couldn't see it. So I got out the magnifying glass and turned on some extra lights, and there it was, larger than life. You just had to look at it. And and that's the way it is with God. We can go through life ignoring this little spot or overlooking this little blemish, but underneath the high wattage of God's searchlight, friends, that little splinter of a sin looks like a telephone pole sticking out. Look at Isaiah. Isaiah thought he was a a pretty good man. But when faced in the holy light of God in the temple, he saw himself from a perspective he had never seen before, and he cried out in Isaiah 6, 5. Do you remember what he said? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, because I have laid my eyes on the King, the Lord of hosts. And when you see God from that perspective, you see yourself under a whole new light. And Isaiah begged God to forgive him. If we are reluctant to confess our sins, then it's because we have managed to blind ourselves to the extent of our need, to the severity of the smallest of sins, and we are only fooling ourselves. Martin Luther said, The ultimate proof of the sinner is that he does not know his own sin. The ultimate proof of the sinner is that he doesn't know his own sin. And that's what Satan does, isn't it? He blinds us to our sins. So we think we're good and we don't need a savior. And for most people, for a lot of people, Satan has done a pretty good job. So one reason we don't confess sins is because we don't think we're bad enough. The second reason is that we don't want to damage our reputation. Even speaking in generalities, if you talk about sin, you make yourself open and vulnerable. And some may see that as a weakness and try to use it against you. I heard a story about a supervisor who gave one of his employees a self-evaluation form and told him to fill it out and bring it in and they'd go over it for his annual review. Well, the man filled it out and brought it into a supervisor and you can guess what the man put on his self-evaluation form. The supervisor looked at it and said, well, I see you've given yourself high marks in every area. Why? And the man replied, Because if you don't know what my weaknesses are, I'm sure not going to tell you. But God calls us to confess our sins to him. And and we don't grade each other on quantity or quality because we're all sinners. And our sins are too numerous and too serious to compare with anyone else. A third reason we don't want to confess our sins is because the harm it might do to our own self-esteem. It might damage our own fragile self-concept. We all struggle with confidence issues. And if we have to dredge up a bunch of bad things about ourselves to confess it, it might damage that self-worth that is already pretty fragile. And this idea jumped out to me several years ago. I thought it kind of ironic. We were singing at the cross. Do you remember the first verse? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, 
would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? And I was singing that song just out of the fullness of, of joy singing it, only I didn't sing those words because I was still singing the words from the old Broadman hymnal. How many of you have been Baptist long enough to remember the words of that first verse in the old Broadman hymnal? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Somebody took the liberty of changing such a worm as I to sinners such as I because they didn't like all that worm talk. They didn't like that self-deprecating concept of a sinner. It was too damaging. So we had to lighten it up a little bit from such a worm as I to sinners such as I. And that's what we do with sin all the time. We rationalize, we excuse, we ignore, we try to justify because it's too difficult to look at in all its ugliness. So that's why people, those are some reasons I came up with why I have difficulty confessing sin. You probably have some more. Why then must we confess our sin? First of all, because confession leads to repentance. When you confess your sin, you're telling God you're sorry. And repentance means more than just being sorry. When I'm talking to a child about uh, they're interested in inviting Jesus into their heart and joining the church, I usually ask, do you understand what it means to repent? And if they don't, I'll say to repent means I'm sorry, but it means more than that because sometimes people say I'm sorry and then they go do the very same thing again. So what do you have to conclude? Maybe they aren't so sorry after all. But if you say you're sorry and you repent, that means you turn 180 degrees. You turn around from that first act of sin and turn around and ask God really to help you to move away from it and not keep making the same sin mistake over and over and over again. Because sin, once done, can have such a grip on your life like a bear trap. And you can't release that grip all by yourself, but when God is hanging on to you, nothing else can. Maybe you need an accountability partner that you want to confess to. The Catholics have a leg up on us on this because they have priests. But we have each other. And we're supposed to be priests to each other. Be careful the one you choose to confess to. If you hear them talking about someone else, chances are one day they'll talk about you. But find someone that you can trust and share your struggles and ask them to hold you accountable. Dennis the Menace was saying his prayers one night beside his bed, hands folded in prayer, kneeling. His mother was standing behind him in the bedroom door. And Dennis is praying and he says, Father, please forgive me for all the naughty things I've done today. Then he glances around and see his, sees his mother in the doorway and he says, we'll have to talk about it later. So be selective whom you choose as an accountability partner. Make sure you have the same understanding of what incompetence means. And confess leads to repentance. The second thing 
that we need, reason we need to confess is because it's truthful, it's honest. And our God is a God of truth. So how can we harbor untruth in our heart, deception, and claim to be a follower of His? If we're unwilling to be truthful with ourselves and others, then we only remain slaves of deception. Confession enables us to speak the truth and live the truth. And that's an important lesson. Unconfessed truth haunts us. And people ask me sometimes, they'll say, Brother Wayne, is, is this a sin or is, is that particular thing a sin? And I'll say, I don't know. But if you're wondering about it, chances are for you it is. So tread carefully. And you need to deal with it because it just won't go away by itself. Story is told about Edward Scripps, the founder of the Scripps News Service. I think the National Spelling Bee is called the Scripps National Spelling Bee. He was getting his start at the Cincinnati Post. And a woman who happened to be a former mistress of his showed up in Cincinnati and she threatened to expose him if he wouldn't pay her some money. She was blackmailing him, much like uh, the incident with David Letterman. In response, this is what Scripps did. He called a news conference and he confessed everything to all of his competitors. He just put it out there. And with that, he disarmed a potentially damaging episode from the past and he was able to move forward without anxiety or fear a cover-up would produce. Because let me tell you, a cover-up will not remain hidden forever. Jesus said that in Matthew 10, 26. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. You can't keep a secret forever. Like trying to put a Band-Aid on a dirty wound Better go ahead and clean it out now so the healing can begin. And that brings me to the third and final reason why we should confess is because it leads to healing. That's what David prayed in the 32nd Psalm, verse 3. When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou didst forgive me the guilt of my sin. Friends, if you try to cover up that sin and hide that sin, it is just going to eat you up on the inside. But when you confess it, when you agree with God, when you say the same thing about it that he says, yes, God, this is a sin. It's already been forgiven. And that relationship with the Father has been restored. It's like a child and a parent. If your child misbehaves, you don't stop loving them. But that fellowship is damaged. It's hurt a little bit. And, and that's the way it is with God. We don't lose our salvation when we sin. Jesus doesn't leave our heart when we sin but we shove him over in the corner and that relationship has been damaged. And by confessing that sin and opening our heart back up to him and acknowledging that it is what God says it is, 
then that relationship with him is restored. It's simply agreeing with God what he says it is. And those channels of communication and fellowship are reopened. P.C. Wren wrote a little book entitled Coward of the Legion. I guess it's about the French Foreign Legion, and he's talking about a coward in the French Foreign Legion. It was a young soldier named Jean Dubonnet. In battle, Dubonnet one day risked his life to save a wounded officer. And following the battle, he was going to be presented with a medal for bravery, but he refused it, insisting that he was only a coward. And they kept trying to present him this medal, and he said, no, I don't want it. And he, he told them a story. He said years earlier, he had fallen in love with a, a woman who was married. And the married woman's husband was like a, a criminal. He was a crime boss. And they saw their situation was hopeless, and they could never be together. And so they, they formed a suicide pact, and they agreed to drink poison. And after the woman drank her portion, Dubonnet backed out. Friends of his heard what he had done, and they took a branding iron and branded on his chest, liar and coward. And since that medal for bravery was going to be hung across his chest, it would be hanging on the outside while those marks of cowardice were branded on the inside. And that was a contradiction and irony that Dubonnet just could not bear. And so he took a hot iron himself and he burned off the brand that labeled him a coward and a liar. And later Dubonnet himself was killed in the line of duty in battle and his commanding officer commented, I have lost my bravest soldier. Friends, the marks of sin are more than just skin deep. But when we confess them to God, He is faithful, and He is righteous, and He is holy, and He has promised to forgive you of those sins, to separate them from you as far as the east is from the west, and to cleanse you from head to toe of all unrighteousness. Confession is saying the same thing God says and agreeing with him. Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. Confession claims it. And it's a daily activity. Restoring relationship that has been broken because of our sin and our imperfection. As we walk more closely with God, we'll sensitize ourselves to what is sin. And once done, once that fellowship is damaged, the desire for it to be restored will drive us to agree with God that it is a sin. And we desire more than anything else to be in fellowship with him. Shall we pray?
Father, as we confess our sins, it's so easy just to do it in generalities. But bring to mind and heart those specific acts of evil that have damaged our fellowship and made a separation between us and erected this wall. Even though you still love us and have saved us, and we're still going to heaven. That sin has distanced us from you. And we love you so much, there's nothing we want more than to be in fellowship with you. Father, we love you more than we love our sin. So as we confess it, we know you're faithful and righteous to forgive us and wash us white as snow. Thank you for that assurance. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an invitation hymn this morning. If there's a sin in your life, then you haven't surrendered all to him. If he has cleansed you and forgiven you and saved you, he's there. Maybe you just need to confess it and let that relationship be restored. Maybe you need to invite Jesus into your heart for the first time and confess your sins and find yourself cleansed and forgiven. I surrender all, number 275. Ken Macaluso joined our church in the early service. The doors are wide open for you to come and join now. Let's stand together and sing. <laughs>